Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, could we be witnessing the beginning of the end of email? Also, one thing parents are often trying to balance is how much do we give to our kids and how much do we make them pay for on their own? There's a new study around this I gotta talk about. So, (laughs) my 15-year-old son, uh, he's a really, really good kid. And he's a polite, nice kid. Till it comes to me saying, Grant, have you checked to see if you have an email from so-and-so? And he says, I don't look at email. Well, Grant, that's how they're communicating with you. We need to know if they've sent an email. Dad, email's terrible. Well, it turns out Grant is not alone. And I had something come up. He's got to go through his driver's training cycle so he can get his, um, I guess they call it restricted license or conditional license very soon. And so terrifying everybody on the roads. But anyway, I kept asking him, do you have the email confirming your um, your driver's ed? And it was just not materializing. And he said, Dad, email is so dumb. And there's a story in the New York Times that everybody his age, even a little older and everybody younger, thinks that email is lame, lame, lame beyond belief. And they communicate so many other ways that are actually more efficient. I think about us as a company. uh, I know this sounds like we're um, trite, but like so many other companies, we communicate internally, not on email anymore. We use Slack. We're able to collaborate with Google Docs. We're able to collaborate on uh, story. We're able to do all this stuff where we're able to be fully interactive in ways that email just is not. And, you know, my son is not wrong that email is lame. Right now, unopened emails, 4,533. Oh my gosh, my that stresses me out. Does it really? Yes. I mean, I... I despise email. Am I really a 16-year-old in a 66-year-old's body? I am with him in this. And oh, look how many, you know, they call them promotional emails at Google. I have 37,000 I have not opened. Oh, gosh. So this is true for so many people who feel like, They got no choice other than to deal with the email thing. But I think about, you know, how for so many people, 
the U.S. mail became kind of irrelevant in their lives. And it took hundreds of years for that to happen. And then the home phone. Home phone, that's right. Businesses used to write your messages down on paper. Pink, pink while you were out slips. Well, email hopefully will go through a very quick cycle of becoming completely irrelevant because it is a pain. And I have not admitted that to Grant. One of his friends who listens to my podcast will say, hey, Grant, your dad was talking about (laughs) you, saying you were right about the email thing, which is a problem because when I try to get him to look at it, how am I ever going to get him to have any sense of urgency? My kids don't even text anymore. They use Snapchat to talk to each other. So my son and both of my daughters, and uh, as far as my son is concerned, my oldest daughter is like, 900 years old because she's in her early 30s but none of them communicate the way that people did even just a few years ago it is a variety of platforms that they're on and my middle child Steffi and Grant will both talk about uh, they're using this or that or the other and the things I haven't even heard of that they're using but the reality is because they're not set in their ways like people are with email. They're going to be the innovators, and they're going to lead us to a new way of communicating with each other, whatever it will be that develops mass adoption, that will get us away from this awful, terrible, crummy, hideous email. Not that I dislike email at all. Do you like email? I like email. How come? I don't, it's just well, because you're one looking way. at me funny. No, I love Slack. I I do like email just for certain purposes, but I do enjoy Slack. I enjoy Zoom, all the other ways. I really enjoy in person, talking to someone face to face. Definitely in person, and I think about how often you'll be somewhere um, and a bunch of people are hanging out, and instead of talking to each other, their heads are all down at like a restaurant table mm-hmm. or in a bar, and they're all on their phones doing whatever instead of being one-on-one or being part of the group mm-hmm. that's right there that they're sitting with. All right. Well, Perry has a question about something that I know you love, and that's travel. I'm strongly considering taking a Mediterranean cruise in October, but my hesitancy lies in the unknowns, the what-ifs regarding the pandemic situation. What if countries shut down and excursions are not available? All crew and passengers are required to be vaccinated. This particular travel company has offered a cancel for any reason 15 days or more before the cruise date with a full future cruise credit. A, would you advise I book the cruise? And B, should I purchase travel insurance even though there's a cancel for any reason up to 15 days prior? Um, I'm going to make a guess, and Perry didn't say that we're talking about NCLs mediterranean cruises because they're the one cruise line i'm aware of that came up with this 15 day rule Um, other cruise lines have done two days prior Um, 15 days is a little iffy for you not to have trip insurance two days i I think you're okay without trip insurance Um, with a trip insurance policy though i'm adding a lot of cost to your trip typically around 6% of the cost of the cruise, you're going to add to it. As far as booking a cruise, 
the Mediterranean cruises had been going out of the port near Athens, Greece. They've been going out of Cyprus. They've been going out of um, one port in Spain, I'm trying to remember. And the countries have pretty much remained open and welcoming to the cruise lines. Some of the ports of call, your promise, don't believe any of them because we don't know what of those are going to happen. Um, so shore excursions that you think you're going to do, you may not even go to some of the spots where the shore excursions would be. So you want to prepare for what you think you might want to do when you get to a place, but maybe even wait till you know you're going to be there to book an independent one over the ship Wi-Fi. I'm comfortable with you going on a Mediterranean cruise. As I said last week on a podcast, make sure your passport has plenty of time left on it, a minimum six months after the end of the October cruise. So with an expiration of your passport, no earlier than May 22, because otherwise you may not be able to go. And this is from Damon in New York. I recently received an offer in the mail. Apparently, you can take the equity out of your home and make no payments for up to 30 years. You repay by sharing a percentage of your home's appreciation when you sell it or get a cash-out refinance. Should I consider this, and what are the pros and cons? So this, in my opinion, unless you are really short of money, Damon, you stay far away from this. The companies that are doing this around the country are doing it because it's what's known as a shared appreciation ownership, that you are giving them an opportunity to share directly in the growth of the value of your home for all through the years. And yes, you uh, may not have to make payments, but you're essentially mortgaging away your equity in the home. And so I... I don't recommend this as a strategy. It also takes away some of your freedom of what happens with the home. You want them out, you say do a cash out refi. What if you can't qualify or what if interest rates at that time are not favorable? So I would only consider this if it gives you a way to stay in a home you couldn't afford to stay in otherwise and you love living in that home. And this is from Josh and Alana in Ohio. I'm in an exciting new stage of my life. I'm newly engaged. Congratulations. I I accepted a new job and I just finished paying off all my debt, $38,000 in one and a half years. Our wedding is in July of 2022. Our our contribution to the wedding will be roughly $12,000. I currently have $5,000 in savings. We're trying to weigh out the options of buying versus building versus renting and saving up for one of the previous options. We understand very little about the housing market, but know that prices are unusually high. If we were to buy or build, we would like a place in the country to raise lots of children. We're in our early 20s, and we don't want to put ourselves in unnecessary debt. We would appreciate any advice you have to offer. So with what your goals are, I don't know how to say this and not sound insensitive. I would really like you to do what you can to have a much more basic wedding where the money you would need to contribute to the wedding would reduce significantly from the 12000 and you'd have, instead of being upside down with the money you already have in savings, having to come up with another 
7000 for the wedding, that you do a much cheaper wedding so that you're in a position with your real goal seems to be to buy a home or as an alternative build, that that's really what is your meaningful goal for you in your life. And that is for your life, for these kids you hope to have and to raise. And that, to me, is a higher priority than making the wedding a little fancier. So you can do a very, very basic wedding and not run up that cost. As far as your question about the housing market, it is true the housing market is inflated right now. Generally not as inflated in a lot of rural areas as it is in urban cores and suburban areas. So if you are some distance from a major city where you want to be in the country, there will be direct advantages to you buying an existing home. Because if it's an area where things are not really growing that much and a home has been there for a while, the effective cost of purchasing per square foot is much, much cheaper for a used home in the country than it is for building a new home in the country. So speaking of kids, I want to talk about a real conflict going on in so many families. And it's not a push-pull of anger or anything like that. It's actually a push-pull out of love that can cause great harm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So, there was a study done by Merrill Lynch that I can't get out of my head. It's one of those things that made such an impression on me that I've been thinking about it, thinking about it, and wanting to talk about it with you since I first read it weeks ago. Because first I reacted very emotionally, and I've had time to really absorb it and process. The study was about parents with adult children and the assistance that parents of adult children give their adult children. The numbers in the study, and I hope that they are truly, well, actually, I hope they're not accurate, but I hope that what I'm about to share with you, if it really is true, is something that as I explain it through to you, will get you to really think about what we might ask of parents as adult children and what parents of adult children are doing. So here's the story. 
According to the Merrill Lynch research, a parent of an adult child or adult children spends $2 on those adult children for every dollar they save for themselves for retirement. Train wreck city. I mean, we've talked about, in many circumstances, the financial harm that parents are doing to themselves when they feel guilty and put themselves into debt or sign up for all kinds of parent plus loans or defer saving for their own retirement because they feel like they are fully responsible for paying for whatever college their kid wants to go to. And then they get to retirement and the kids are like, gosh, it's too bad mom and dad don't have any money. They should have done a better job saving for their future. (laughs) Well, then to read that parents are spending out of every $3 of money they've got available to save for retirement, that two of the three are not going to save for retirement. They're going to subsidize the life of their adult children is financial Armageddon. Because most people aren't sitting there like someone who's got tons of money and they're not sitting around eating chocolate bonbons. They're getting squeezed. They may even have aging parents they're helping take care of. Maybe more with time than money. And then... They've got these adult kids. Oh, we'd really like for them to be able to fill in the blank, whatever it is. And that money that they need for their financial security down the road when they don't want to work anymore, they can't work anymore, they don't got the money. That's really bad grammar. They don't have the money to live because they've been spending all the money on their adult children. This is really a bad idea. So if you are well on track and everything's cool, you got plenty of money to live a comfortable retirement and not outlive your money in retirement, and you want to spend a lot of money on your adult kids, go ahead. But if it means you're going to sacrifice financial security in your old age because you're shoving money towards your adult kids. First, you're not teaching them independence. You are perpetuating dependence in your adult children. And maybe psychologically that's great or whatever, but usually it's because you love them is why you're doing it. But you got to love yourself first and make sure you take care of yourself first. All right, Clark, let's get to some questions. Speaking of kids, Nancy says, my 15-year-old goes to a public school and is in the marching band. We are not a wealthy family, nor is most of the community. $500 yearly band fee, etc. There is constantly a fundraiser. The one that bothers me is they want at least 20 of our families and friends' emails so they can send them some kind of fundraiser request. This is probably not a scam, but for some reason it bothers me that I am very strongly encouraged in quotes, to send the emails out to the of the few family and friends that I have. I think I'm just embarrassed and concerned at the response, as most of my family and friends are already struggling. Nancy, I'm with you. This is, um, 
this is a lot of money. And the aggressiveness of the fundraising, wanting you to be what they call in fundraising a rainmaker, where you're giving the contacts and and saying, you know, Nancy's kid is in this. And don't you really want Nancy's kid to be able to do this activity? Well, we need this money from you. I, I don't like it. And I don't know who's in charge of the band and who's trying to raise all this money, but it puts a lot of pressure on you, uh, both financially and this personal thing with outreach for money. And your kid wanting to participate puts additional pressure on you. So I don't know exactly how to handle it. Uh, Do you have any idea, Krista, what you know, I would just say um, I would reach out to some businesses that might be interested. I'm sure other people are doing that as well. And, and you know, if you know of any businesses, maybe in a, if there's a city nearby somewhere or some, some kind of business that might want to help out rather than, you know, or I'd just, I'd just be honest and say I'm not comfortable with this and we can't afford it. So, Nancy, I mean, you're right. You're kind of thinking about what Krista said. You're kind of boxing a corner here. And I really support what you've said, that you don't want to put pressure on family and friends that are struggling financially. So I think a a polite pushback is called for here. Manual in California says, my credit limit was just lowered on two of my credit cards. I've never been late on my payments and many times paying off in full each month. When I called the company, they said I was selected for some random review. They drop the limit from $5,000 to $2,000. If I freeze my credit in the future, if selected for these random reviews again, will they be able to run my credit in case I'm selected for this? Yes, they will. They are allowed to do that. We got to talk about what strategies you need to do right away. So the credit limit crunching of people happened a lot starting last spring. I haven't heard it a lot recently So that makes me worried that there may be an error or something, a bill that you didn't realize had not been paid on your credit report. I'd like you immediately to go to creditkarma.com and sign up for a Credit Karma account where you're able to see what's going on with your credit on two of the major bureaus. You also get an approximation of your credit score and standing. If they say you have a good likelihood to be approved for other cards, I would like you to apply for one more card to replace some of the credit limit that you have lost with your existing cards. And uh, you have two with the same bank. That puts all your eggs in one basket. I want you to get a card from someone else as long as your credit standing is solid. Uh, But once you're doing business with a financial institution, even with a credit freeze, they have access to your credit report and your scores every 30 days. And so you wouldn't affect their ability to do that. But you just got to find out what's going on with your credit that they put you under review and then cut your credit limit by 60%. Piper in Missouri says, I panicked and sold my stocks and bonds when the pandemic hit. Now I have a lot of cash accounts with little or no growth. How do I get back into investing for retirement with the stock market so high? Um, Piper, I don't know your age um, and know that lots of people did just what you did. You're not alone. 
And so you've watched the market recover from its speedy decline, and now it's at these high values. So what you do now is you go back in through a method known as dollar cost averaging. Each month or each 90 days, each quarter, put some of the money you put on the sidelines back in. And if you do it gradually, putting it in month by month, with the market being as highly valued as it is, you're not going to suffer as much if in the midst of that, the market suddenly does have a correction or we go into the more severe bear market. If you have enough time ahead of you, which I'd say is 10-year window to longer, because I don't know your age, the longer your window is from 10 years, just keep with the habit, steady as you go, of putting money in regularly and just ride the market through thick and thin ups and downs. And Wysocka in California says, Clark, you recently moved to a smaller place. So I have a question. How did you choose a money moving company? And are you happy with your choice? Lots of us will be moving from state to state and lots of companies are not truthful or even fraudulent. Oh yeah. The moving industry has had terrible, terrible problems. So this is one of the biggest mistakes my wife and I have made in our lives. We moved ourselves and uh, we have made a pact with each other that we don't, won't do this again. Now, we sold our home mostly furnished. So we only had to move out about uh, probably 20% of our furniture. And we moved most of it ourselves. We did uh, twice have a local, because we moved local, had a local company that uh, did, you know, they were just a couple hour move thing, moves for us. And it was somebody who my wife had used before. It was very local, one truck company. But we moved everything else ourselves. And the van that you heard me talk about that we sold recently um, after we had moved, I had removed the seats, which if you have a Honda Odyssey, you know what a chore it is to remove the middle row of seats. But we basically turned it into a cargo van and trip after trip, through the day, day after day, we moved ourselves. And to say that uh, that my wife was, was stupid, I am stupid. It was my fault, my idea, trying to save money, and we shouldn't have done it. So I don't have a moving company to tell you because we did it ourselves. But if you are doing a move state to state, there are lots and lots of crooks in the business. And I want you to start at moving.org. Moving.org is the website of the moving industry and of the legitimate players in the moving industry. And you want to find what's known as a pro mover. Those are movers that not only are legitimate movers, but they are also movers that have agreed to live by the trade association's code of conduct on how they resolve complaints and the rest. When you do a move with a mover state to state, you want the estimate to be what's known as a binding estimate. Because if you don't have a binding estimate, they can raise the price on you on the move as much as they want the quote, the estimate, if it's not binding, means nothing. You also need to buy insurance 
from either your own homeowner's insurer covering a move or from the moving company itself. And I want you to buy replacement value coverage. So if things go missing, that you have insurance where you're not going to be arguing about, well, that TV was two years old, so we'd say it's worth 12 cents, that instead you get a brand new, whatever size TV it is, if they lose it or break it. So this is a tough, tough thing, hiring a mover. You want to be very careful who you hire, and Google searches are deadly for your wallet when you're looking for a mover because what you're going to find in a Google search is one scam after another, after another, after another. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really appreciate you spending your time listening. And whenever you have a question about your money, check out Clark.com. And when you want to save money on what you're buying, check out ClarkDeals.com.